Let's uh, open with prayer real quick. Just wait a second for everybody to get seated. God, I just uh, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to uh, share about your word, uh, to spend time together, uh, understanding more about you, understanding more about what you have to say about us. Um, God, we just we put our faith in you, and we just ask that you would guide our understanding, uh, guide our hearts uh, to truly know you and to know um, how to be close to you. God, I just ask that we would accept the tremendous uh, opportunity that, that you put before us to really have life through you. And uh, God, I ask that we understand what that means and just be joyful about it. Uh, it's in your name I pray, amen. Okay, um, so last week I kicked off my first series, and so this whole month we were talking about the, the concept or the doctrine of the family of God uh, in Scripture. And what I talked about last week was that this teaching, the family of God, is something that, that I hadn't really grown up hearing uh, emphasized a lot, but the more I started to read the New Testament, the more I saw that this is a, a consistent theme that's really repeated over and over again in a lot of different ways in the New Testament. And I started thinking, this is obviously very important. It's important for us to understand uh, who we are, who God is, and what the gospel really means. And last week, we talked a little bit about uh, how it's established. So there are three ways that, that family is created. Uh, in, in the world. Those are, uh, you can be adopted into a family, uh, you can be born into a family, or you can be married into a family. And the New Testament uh, emphasizes all three and, and does it over and over again. Uh, and adoption in New Testament language has to do with inheritance. It has to do with sharing in the things of the family. And so when, when God says we are adopted uh, into his family as children, what that means is that we get to share in the things of God and the blessings of God, all the goodness and all the great things that God has, he shares with us when he adopts us into his family. Uh, rebirth is, is emphasized in the book of John, and rebirth is about regeneration. Uh, we don't naturally seek the things of God. We don't naturally seek good for ourselves or for others. We are naturally selfish. But through God, we are reborn and given a heart like his that seeks his, uh, his kingdom and his glory and his things. Um, and so regeneration or rebirth is about us not just being healed, but being remade in his likeness. And then thirdly, uh, the, the covenant of marriage is described between Christ and us. And the covenant of marriage emphasizes the unity that we will have eternally with Christ. And, and it, it is described in the context of Christ actually preparing us for intimacy with him eternally. And we were created for that purpose, so there's no greater fulfillment of your needs or my needs or our needs uh, than intimacy with Christ. And that's the whole purpose of all of these things, um, Christ dying on the cross, Christ paying for our sins, is so that in the end we can have intimate knowledge and intimate uh, relationship with Christ for all of eternity. And so the New Testament, uh, just to summarize, adoption is about our inheritance. We share in the inheritance of God. 
Uh, rebirth is about regeneration. We are, we are remade in God's image. Uh, and then uh, marriage is about Christ's intimacy with us eternally. So this week, I want to transition into um, our reaction to this, how we're supposed to absorb this information of knowing that uh, God the Father really is our Father, uh, God the Son in some senses is, is our husband, uh, in other senses he is our, our firstborn brother, uh, and both of them are the leaders or the leader of our family. So uh, I want you guys to imagine um, that you're a guy named Jim, and Jim works in a hospital. Uh, and he is a, works in a cancer uh, section of the hospital and is charged with checking uh, the, I don't, I'm not a doctor, like the diagnostics or something. <laughs> uh, he checks on the patients. Uh, and so he's going from patient to patient, and he's checking on, on all of them. And, and it's a cancer ward, so, you know, it's, it's tough stuff. People are going through difficult things. And so sometimes the patients want to, to speak with him. Uh, but he's got an important job, and he has to divide his time among all of the different patients. And so one day he, he checks on one patient, and this patient's name is Frank. Uh, and Frank says, I really, uh, or in the course of, of Jim checking on things, uh, Frank starts to, to look at Jim and, and study him a little bit and says uh, to Jim, I'd really like to speak with you uh, in private. Uh, and Jim says, okay, uh, you know, I, I've got actually to take care of a lot of other patients. I, I can't do that right now. And, and Frank says, well, what about after your shift? Can you come in and, and speak with me? And Jim says, sure. These kind of requests happen somewhat often, so he tries to accommodate, but you know, it's just part of his job, and he's got to prioritize his job first. Jim gets really busy that day, and at the end of the day, <coughs> he ends up forgetting. He doesn't go talk to, to Frank. Uh, but when he comes back the next day, Frank sees him again and says, Jim, uh, I really wanted to talk to you. And, and Jim says, oh, I'm sorry, I completely forgot. Uh, but I'll, I'll make sure to, to speak with you today. And, and so after his shift that day, Jim does. He comes back, and he says, okay, I'm here. Uh, what, what, did, what did you want to say to me? And, and Frank says in that moment, well, I noticed, I noticed that you have a, a really different and unique scar on your, on your hand, and uh, I just wanted to ask, where are you from? And, and Jim says, well, actually, uh, I, I, I don't actually know. Uh, I, was, uh, I grew up in an orphanage in and I don't, I don't know where I'm from. And, and Frank says, well, I think I know, I know where you're from. I think you might be my brother. But in a moment like that, that changes everything. Jim's perspective completely changes. Whereas before, he saw it as a job, and he saw Frank as just another guy. Uh, I want you guys to imagine what, what you, how you would react in that moment. I, I would, if I was Jim, want to ask a bunch of questions to Frank. And I would not just want to ask, uh, well, gosh, you know, what do you do? Or uh, tell us, tell me about my family so that I know how I'm supposed to, or I guess where I come from, just to, to know that information. I would want to know because it's about my identity. It's about who I am. 
And as I learn that information, it's going to affect how I view myself and how I view other things. If Frank tells me, oh, well, actually, you come from a really prominent family, and you're the heir of a billion dollars, um, that's going to affect things. But if he, if he says, well, you come from a terrible family of, of criminals, and actually your father's in prison, <laughs> that's going to affect me too. Uh, if I'm Jim, uh, my identity is real important to how I view the world, how I view myself, how I view everything. And so understanding that we are children of God is a, is a huge uh, thing to keep in mind as we view the world and as we understand the gospel. Our identity is in God as his children. So today, um, I want to talk or I'm going to talk about John and his reaction to this information. So this is John the Apostle that I'm speaking of. And John the Apostle uh, knew Jesus firsthand. So his relationship with Jesus was not just knowledge of a spiritual God that's far away. He saw Jesus in the flesh. Jesus spoke with him. He spent normal time with Jesus uh, and in the beginning of John's journey, he did not realize that Jesus was the Son of God. But as time went on, just imagine what it would have been like for him to realize, wow, this is God, once he starts to recognize that, and God is right here talking to me. And, and he's doing normal things. He's, he's participating in normal activities with us. Um, and... Um, and he's caring and loving, and uh, he's come down to talk to me. And so John's impression of Jesus was of a very intimate nature, uh, a very real nature, because he saw him and knew him personally. And, um, and then he also saw the crucifixion. So he saw the price that Christ paid right in front of him. And, and what's interesting about the crucifixion is some people notice that it's not that Jesus suffered worse than any other person has suffered physically. The tortures that Jesus went through uh, were over a 24-hour period. And so there are, there are other people that have gone through worse physical pain and physical torture. But what, what John understood in watching all of that happen and what he explains in his gospel and in his epistle are that there was more that was happening than just what we saw in the physical world. Jesus, uh, took, he, was, he served as the propitiation for our sins. That's the word John uses in his epistle. And what it means is that he was the substitute for all the justice that we deserve for all of the sin that we have committed. And so sometimes in this world we feel like uh, there's un injustice and somebody is treated unfairly. Well, John saw Jesus, who he knew was perfect, and he knew had only done good to him personally and to the people he was with on a very personal level, suffer great injustice and be being mocked, being treated uh, like he was a criminal, when he was as opposite from a criminal as you could possibly be. All of us are guilty of something, but Jesus was guilty of nothing. So the greatest injustice that's ever been done was when Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. But he didn't just, didn't just go through the physical tortures. He didn't just go through the disrespect. He also took on the full wrath of God or the full justice of God in that moment. And so 
John's impression of Jesus is, is of a God willing to go to incredible lengths for us. And John knew that at a very personal level. So our passage today is going to be uh, 1 John 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. Just to give a little context uh, of this book of 1 John, it's a letter. It's written to, to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is basically uh, today's Turkey. Um, and he wrote it in response to Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism uh, was, a, was a heresy that entered into the church that basically emphasized uh, knowledge about God over virtue or obedience. Um, so it had a relaxed view of morals. Uh, it also emphasized that Christ didn't really come down to earth, was not incarnated. And it, um, and it emphasized that it's not about a relationship with God. It's just about a personal revelation of truth that, you, that only a, an exclusive few have the opportunity to, to receive. So John writes his letter, and he's writing to Christians, and he's emphasizing that all three of those things are false, that Christ really did come. And so he emphasizes, I was an eyewitness. I was there. I saw him. I knew him. I saw him die. I saw him raised from the dead. He really resurrected. And, and it's in John's gospel that he talks about Thomas putting his, his fingers in, in Christ uh, and where he, Christ was pierced. And so he's doing that to show that physically Christ came here and really died and really rose from the dead. So John speaks with authority against that. And then, and then he emphasizes fellowship. The, this epistle talks more about a f- fellowship and the concept of fellowship, something we may call community. Uh, we may call it uh, inter- interrelationship uh, in the church. And John is explaining that fellowship, you can't know God because they're saying, we know God, and therefore we're good. The Gnostics are saying that. And John is saying, you can't know God unless you have fellowship with God, unless you have relationship with God. It's not just about knowing about God. It's about knowing him personally. And not only that, but if you claim to know God, but then don't love God's people, then you don't know God, because God loves his people. And I know because I was there and I saw Jesus loving all of us. And so if you don't love all of us too, then you don't know God, because that's, that's who he is. That's what he did. So let's read our passage uh, today. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is 1 John, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know that, or but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone oops, I'm gonna, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what he's emphasizing 
here, I, I want to notice a couple of things about this passage. First, it's that um, it's not really obvious in verse 1 in our translation, but you could put the word O uh, in, front, in front of the first word. It's like he's saying, oh, see what kind of love the Father has given us. And then he's saying not just that we should be called the children of God. No, no, no. We are the children of God. What a great and incredible thing that is. And that's important because John is, is, um, is expressing emotion right here. You could, you could argue that this is the climax of this letter. So everything he's saying before then is about what it means to be a believer and that it's important to have fellowship. And everything after this, he's going to be describing what it means to be in fellowship with God and with his people. But this moment, he's just having a moment in front of us where he's, he's appreciating and, and uh, celebrating with his emotions about the tremendous uh, truth that we are the children of God. And then he goes into the reason why the world does not know us, does not know who are real believers of God. The reason why the world gets confused is because they don't know him. And that's important because when we go to interpret scripture and understand uh, who God is, we're not going to understand a lot of things in scripture if we don't actually know God. It's not going to make sense to us. So when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to to communicate the gospel, if you don't know, or if they don't know God, yeah, thanks, there we go, all right, um, if they don't know God, they're not going to understand um, anything else in the gospel, and the primary thing to see first is that the gospel is inherently relational. If we don't understand that, you're not going to understand why God is offended by some things and not by others because it's a real relationship. And just like when I have a real relationship with, with one of you or you have it with me, there are certain things that are going to be more offensive to that relationship and certain things that aren't. And the Bible won't make sense unless you're viewing it as God really does have a relationship with us that we're either respecting or disrespecting. We're either honoring or dishonoring. And God's reactions make perfect sense in that context. So I want to share um, from the Old Testament prophets, Malachi 2, verse 10. Um, it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So in this in this. Uh, teaching from Malachi. Malachi is an Old Testament prophet, and he's dealing with uh, different errors have mixed in, and people are not being careful with how they teach about God. And they're mixing in the teachings of our God with the teachings of other gods, with false idols. And they're teaching that it's not that big of a deal. But, but Malachi is saying, we only have one Father. Only one God created us. And to say that it's okay to believe in more than one thing is like saying, if you're uh, in a marriage relationship, that it's okay to have more than one spouse. 
and then and then be like, I don't understand why you're offended that I'm treating this other person as my spouse sometimes because I still treat you really well. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it um, because it's a relationship, and every relationship has sacred parts to it. And so when we approach God, we can't approach him with a, with a view that it, that it doesn't matter who he is. It does because it's a real relationship. God is a real person. The, the next thing to notice is you can't understand the sacrifice that God made for us by sacrificing his son until you understand that God the Father really is the Father and God the Son really is his son. So when that injustice was done to Christ, where Christ died for our sins, it's in the context of a father sacrificing his son. So the Old Testament, when, uh, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, but then Abraham in the end is, is told to spare his son, we're meant to go through the emotional uh, turmoil that Abraham was going through as he was about to offer his firstborn son. We're meant to go through that to understand how great the sacrifice was that the father made to, to not spare his son, but to sacrifice his son for us. And so when John is saying uh, throughout this epistle that if you don't love God's people, you don't know God, it's because God really loves us. And God gave or sacrificed the thing most important to him for all of us. So if you don't love one of your brothers in Christ, you're not, you're not loving that person on a very small level when God loves them infinitely. God's willing to sacrifice the thing most important to him for each and every one of us. And so we need to love each other uh, and consider each other as, as very precious because our God considers each one of us that precious. So the next uh, point about this is, is about identity. So the story I shared at the beginning was about uh, Jim not knowing who he was and discovering who he was and trying to get you guys to, to imagine what it's like to not know who you are uh, and to, in one moment, to totally understand at a much deeper level or to, to become aware of who you are. It changes everything. The story of the Bible is that our identity is rooted completely in God, in nothing else. And, and that's important today because in our culture, we talk a lot about, we use the word identity a lot, and we misuse it a lot, and we attach all kinds of things to it. We talk about things like discovering yourself. Um, and, you know, it, it's easy to think, well, you know, I do need to discover, like, things about me. And on some levels, it's not a big deal, but you can't define who you are. Because you didn't make yourself. Uh, you were made by God. And so to say that you, you know yourself better than God knows you is not true. God knows you better. And when God says to you, his child, this is what's good for you, even though maybe it doesn't seem like it, God knows because he made you. He knows what you need and what you don't need. And 
And if we really respect him as God, if we really see him as God and infinitely wiser and above us, then we're just going to trust him, even when it doesn't seem like it fits. Or even when it's difficult in this world, we're going to trust that it's worth it. It's worth whatever pain or suffering or difficulty we've got to go through because we trust our Father. And we know that he's done a great sacrifice for us, a huge sacrifice for us. And so for him to say, in whatever, in whatever issue it may be or whatever uh, thing it may be, this is what's right and this is what's wrong for you or for us, God has the right to say that. And it is in our interest to just obey. Just like any father that really cares about their child may say, don't run in the street. And that child may say, but all my friends are in the street and I'm, I'm suffering here. But if a car blows by, this is a terrible illustration. <laughs> anyway, you know what I, anyway, the, the father should and knows better than the child and knows how to protect their children. And the reality is that's that's what we're talking about. Uh, our Father in heaven says to us, uh, don't always do what everybody else does. It's dangerous. Don't always do what's popular. It, it can get you killed. Um, and it's true. So our identity is rooted in Christ, and our ultimate fulfillment is in him. Our needs will only be met in him. And finally... John is also showing us what his relationship looks like with Christ. He's showing us that, um, he's showing us his appreciation in this moment. When he emotes and he has a little outburst in front of us, appreciating the fact that, that he really feels and knows and experiences being a child of God, this is what worship really looks like. It's not about singing the perfect song. It's not about writing the perfect uh, poem. Uh, and it's not about accomplishing something for God. Real relationship is about appreciating one another. It's about spending real time, intimate time together. That's why the Bible emphasizes so much things like prayer and worship uh, and coming together as believers. Because as a family... As a community, we're not coming together just so I can teach you a bunch of information or Heath can teach you a bunch of information or just so I can learn through the week a bunch of information that I'm trying to teach. Uh, it's so that we can spend time together in intimate relationship. And so it's not about accomplishing anything. Uh, the thing that we're accomplishing is we're getting to know each other and we're getting to know our God because that's the ultimate end of what's happening. So application, this week I, I want to challenge us uh, to apply this in three ways. The first way is I want to challenge you guys to try to read scripture this week, but don't read it uh, slowly, just focusing on one passage or one group of verses. I want you to try to read through, I, I kind of described this last week, but read through um, fairly quickly and just try to notice the themes and try to notice the relationship messages that God is saying to us in Scripture. 
And I think what you'll notice is that everything is relational and that that's the emphasis. The emphasis of what God wants from us and what God expects from us and, and the thing that he enjoys about us is relationship with us. And the thing that he's saying to us is I'm inviting you into relationship with me and it's going to be greater than what you realize. And you're not going to understand all the details in Scripture until you understand the big picture. So the first thing is uh, to try to read Scripture for its themes, understanding the relational context this week. The next is I would like to invite all of you uh, today at Sundays. Sundays is on Sunday? Sundays on Sunday. Um, to not just have... Uh, to not just skim the surface in your relational contact this week within our family, but to talk about how you appreciate God and what God is doing in your life and to share that with your brothers and sisters in this church this week. And uh, to also uh, look for ways to appreciate one another, look for ways to know each other, because God wants to know us uh, and he wants us to know each other. The last, I, I want us to really work this week on living in an attitude of understanding these truths. We see John's attitude right here. John's old right now when he's writing this. We think this was written in 89, or 90, 80. I don't know how you say that. but um, and, and what that means is John is probably in his 70s, 80s, or 90s somewhere around there, and uh, a lot of times when we get older, we can get grumpy. We can get particular, uh, there's uh, movies, grumpy old men, that sort of thing, uh, and it's one of my fears. I don't want to turn into that, um, but the gospel should not, should not cause us to end that way, and that's not how John is ending his life. John is, is still concerned about people, and throughout this uh, letter, John is an exceptionally intimate person with the people he's writing to. He cares about them and refers to them as his little children, uh, his spiritual children. And, and you can feel the love in the book. Uh, and so his attitude is overcome with the love of God and his expression of that to other people. And he lives in the hope of this future intimacy that we are going to have with God. And he's saying, uh, I think it's in verse 2, yeah, we don't, that basically we don't know exactly what it's going to look like in the future, but it's going to be incredible, more than what you can imagine. And so uh, I want to challenge us to just live in a hopeful attitude this week. So this week, our, our application is, is to approach Scripture relationally looking for how we can be intimately, uh, how we can relate intimately with God. Uh, and then I want to invite you guys to share that with one another and to really know each other this week uh, and just to keep a good positive attitude regardless of what's happening in the news, regardless of what difficult things may happen this week. Eternally, we're in an incredible position as being children of God, and that is incredibly comforting um, and exciting. So... Let's pray.
personal level. So our passage today is going to be uh, 1 John 3, uh, verses 1 through 3. Just to give a little context uh, of this book of 1 John, it's a letter. It's written to, to a group of churches in Asia Minor, which is basically uh, today's Turkey. Um, and he wrote it in response to Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism uh, was, a, was a heresy that entered into the church that basically emphasized uh, knowledge about God over virtue or obedience. Uh, so it had a relaxed view of morals. Uh, it also emphasized that Christ didn't really come down to earth, was not incarnated. And it, uh, and it emphasized that it's not about a relationship with God, it's just about a personal revelation of truth that, he, that only a, an exclusive few have the opportunity to, to receive. So John writes his letter, and he's writing to Christians, and he's emphasizing that all three of those things are false. That Christ really did come, and so he emphasizes, I was an eyewitness, I was there, I saw him. I knew him. I saw him die, I saw him raised from the dead, he really resurrected. And, and it's in John's Gospel that he talks about Thomas putting his, his fingers in, in Christ's, uh, in where Christ was pierced. And so he's doing that to show that physically Christ came here and really died and really rose from the dead. So John speaks with authority against that. And then, and then he emphasizes fellowship. The, this epistle talks more about a fellowship and the concept of fellowship, something we may call community, uh, we may call it uh, interrelationship uh, in the church, and, and John is explaining that fellowship, you can't know God, because they are saying, we know God, and therefore we're good, the Gnostics are saying that, and John is saying, you can't know God unless you have fellowship with God, unless you have relationship with God. It's not just about knowing about God. It's about knowing Him personally. And not only that, but if you claim to know God, but then don't love God's people, then you don't know God. Because God loves His people. And I know because I was there and I saw Jesus loving all of us. And so if you don't love all of us too, then you don't know God. Because that's, that's who He is. That's what he did. So let's read our passage uh, today. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, this is 1 John. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know that or but we know that when he appears we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone oops, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So what he's emphasizing here, I, I want to notice a couple of things about this passage. First, it's that uh, 
it's not really obvious in verse one in our translation, but you could put the word O uh, in front in front of the first word. It's like he's saying, Oh, see what kind of love the Father has given us. And then he's saying not just that we should be called the children of God. No, no, no. We are the children of God. What a great and incredible thing that is. And that's important because John is is uh, is expressing emotion right here. You could you could argue that this is the climax of this letter. So everything he's saying before then is about what it means to be a believer and that it's important to have fellowship. And everything after this, he's going to be describing what it means to be in fellowship with God and with his people. But this moment, he's just having a moment in front of us where he's he's appreciating and, and uh, celebrating with his emotions about the tremendous uh, truth that we are the children of God. And then he goes into the reason why the world does not know us, does not know who are real believers of God. The reason why the world gets confused is because they don't know him. And that's important because when we go to interpret scripture and understand uh, who God is, we're not going to understand a lot of things in scripture if we don't actually know God. It's not going to make sense to us. So when you're talking to somebody and you're trying to to communicate the gospel. If you don't know, or if they don't know God, yeah, thanks. There we go. All right. um, if they don't know God, they're not going to understand uh, anything else in the gospel. And the primary thing to see first is that the gospel is inherently relational. If we don't understand that, you're not going to understand why God is offended by some things and not by others because it's a real relationship. And just like when I have a real relationship with, with one of you or you have it with me, there are certain things that are going to be more offensive to that relationship and certain things that aren't. And the Bible won't make sense unless you're viewing it as God really does have a relationship with us that we're either respecting or disrespecting. We're either honoring or dishonoring. And God's reactions make perfect sense in that context. So I want to share uh, from the Old Testament prophets, Malachi 2, verse 10. Um, it says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? So in this in this. Uh, teaching from Malachi. Malachi is an Old Testament prophet, and he's dealing with uh, different errors that have mixed in, and people are not being careful with how they teach about God. And they're mixing in the teachings of our God with the teachings of other gods, with false idols. And they're teaching that it's not that big of a deal. But, but Malachi is saying we only have one Father. Only one God created us. And to say that it's okay to believe in more than one thing is like saying, if you're uh, in a marriage relationship, that it's okay to have more than one spouse. And then, and then be like, I don't understand why you're offended that I'm treating this other person as my spouse sometimes, because I still treat you really well. 
I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about it. Um, because it's a relationship. And every relationship has sacred parts to it. And so when we approach God, we can't approach him with a, with a view that, that it doesn't matter who he is. It does. Because it's a real relationship. God is a real person. The, the next thing to notice is you can't understand the sacrifice that God made for us by sacrificing his son until you understand that God the Father really is the Father and God the Son really is his son. So when that injustice was done to Christ, where Christ died for our sins, it's in the context of a father sacrificing his son. So the Old Testament, when, uh, when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, but then Abraham in the end is, is told to spare his son, we're meant to go through the emotional uh, turmoil that Abraham was going through as he was about to offer his firstborn son. We're meant to go through that to understand how great the sacrifice was that the father made to, to not spare his son, but to sacrifice his son for us. And so when John is saying uh, throughout this epistle that if you don't love God's people, you don't know God, it's because God really loves us. And God gave or sacrificed the thing most important to him for all of us. So if you don't love one of your brothers in Christ, you're not, you're not loving that person on a very small level when God loves them infinitely. God's willing to sacrifice the thing most important to him for each and every one of us. And so we need to love each other uh, and consider each other as, as very precious because our God considers each one of us that precious. So the next uh, point about this is, is about identity. So the story I shared at the beginning was about uh, Jim not knowing who he was and discovering who he was and trying to get you guys to, to imagine what it's like to not know who you are uh, and to in one moment to totally understand at a much deeper level or to, to become aware of who you are changes everything. The story of the Bible is that our identity is rooted completely in God and nothing else. And, and that's important today because in our culture we talk a lot about we use the word identity a lot and we misuse it a lot and we attach all kinds of things to it we talk about things like discovering yourself uh, and you know it, it's easy to think well you know I do need to discover like things about me and on some levels it's not a big deal but you can't define who you are because you didn't make yourself. Uh, you were made by God. And so to say that you, you know yourself better than God knows you is not true. God knows you better. And when God says to you, his child, this is what's good for you, even though maybe it doesn't seem like it, God knows because he made you. He knows what you need and what you don't need. And and if we really respect him as God, if we really see him as God and infinitely wiser and above us, then we're just going to trust him. 
even when it doesn't seem like it fits. Or even when it's difficult in this world, we're going to trust that it's worth it. It's worth whatever pain or suffering or difficulty we've got to go through because we trust our Father. And we know that He's done a great sacrifice for us, a huge sacrifice for us. And so for Him to say, in whatever, in whatever issue it may be or whatever uh, thing it may be, this is what's right, this is what's wrong for you or for us, God has the right to say that. And it is in our interest to just obey. Just like any father that really cares about their child may say, don't run in the street. And that child may say, but all my friends are in the street and I'm, I'm suffering here. But if a car blows by, this is a terrible illustration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyway, the, the father should and knows better than the child and knows how to protect their children. And the reality is that's, that's what we're talking about. Uh, our Father in heaven says to us, uh, don't always do what everybody else does. It's dangerous. Don't always do what's popular. It, it can get you killed. Uh, and it's true. So our identity is rooted in Christ, and our ultimate fulfillment is in him. Our needs will only be met in him. And finally, John is also showing us what his relationship looks like with Christ. He's showing us that, um, he's showing us his appreciation in this moment. When he emotes and he has a little outburst in front of us, appreciating the fact that, that he really feels and knows and experiences being a child of God. This is what worship really looks like. It's not about singing the perfect song. It's not about writing the perfect uh, poem. Uh, and it's not about accomplishing something for God. Real relationship is about appreciating one another. It's about spending real time, intimate time together. That's why the Bible emphasizes so much things like prayer and worship uh, and coming together as believers. Because as a family, as a community, we're not coming together just so I can teach you a bunch of information or he can teach you a bunch of information or so I can learn through the week a bunch of information that I'm trying to teach. Uh, it's so that we can spend time together in intimate relationship. And so it's not about accomplishing anything. Uh, the thing that we're accomplishing is we're getting to know each other and we're getting to know our God because that's the ultimate end of what's happening. application. This week I, I want to challenge us uh, to apply this in three ways. The first way is I want to challenge you guys to try to read scripture this week, but don't read it uh, slowly, just focusing on one passage or one group of verses. I want you to try to read through, I, I kind of described this last week, but read through uh, fairly quickly and just try to notice the themes and try to notice the relationship messages that God is saying to us in Scripture. And I think what you'll notice is that everything is relational and that that's the emphasis. The emphasis of what God wants from us and what God expects from us and the thing that He enjoys about us 
his relationship with us. And the thing that he's saying to us is, I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. And it's going to be greater than what you realize. And you're not going to understand all the details in Scripture until you understand the big picture. So the first thing is uh, to try to read Scripture for its themes, understanding the relational context this week. The next is I would like to invite all of you. Uh, today, Sundays, Sundays on Sunday, Sundays on Sunday. Um, to not just have, uh, to not just skim the surface in your relational contact this week within our family, but to talk about how you appreciate God and what God is doing in your life and to share that with your brothers and sisters in this church this week. And uh, to also uh, look for ways to appreciate one another. Look for ways to know each other. Because God wants to know us uh, and he wants us to know each other. The last, I, I want us to really work this week on living in an attitude of understanding these truths. We see John's attitude right here. John's old right now when he's writing this. We think it was written in 89, 80, 90, 90, 80, I And and what that means is John is probably in his 70s, 80s, or 90s, somewhere around there. Uh, a lot of times when we get older, we can get grumpy. We can get particular. Uh, there's some movies, grumpy old men, that sort of thing. Uh, and it's one of my fears. I don't want to turn into that. Uh, but the gospel should not should not cause us to end that way. And that's not how John is ending his life. John is is still concerned about people. And throughout this uh, letter, John is an exceptionally intimate person with the people he's writing to. He cares about them and refers to them as his little children, uh, his spiritual children. And, and you can feel the love in the book. Uh, and so his attitude is overcome with the love of God and his expression of that to other people. And he lives in the hope of this future intimacy that we are going to have with God. And he's saying, uh, I think it's in verse 2, yeah. We don't, they, basically we don't know exactly what it's going to look like in the future, but it's going to be incredible, more than what you can imagine. And so uh, I want to challenge us to just live in a hopeful attitude this week. So this week, our, our application is, is to approach Scripture relationally, looking for how we can be intimately, uh, how we can relate intimately with God. Uh, and then I want to invite you guys to share that with one another and to really know each other this week. Uh, and just to keep a good positive attitude, regardless of what's happening in the news, regardless of what difficult things may happen this week. Eternally, we're in an incredible position as being children of God, and that is incredibly comforting uh, and exciting. So, let's pray. God, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to share this time together. Uh, God, it truly is a, a great privilege to be one of your children uh, and to be among your children. And God, I don't 
understand all the details of why you called all of us and why you care so much about all of us, but I am grateful uh, and I just thank uh, for everything that you do for us and that we can come to you as our Father with our Father, with our needs uh, and we can know that you care and we can know that you understand, you made us, you know what, what we experience and you even came down to this earth to experience it with us. And God, I just, I just thank you for that and, and I just praise your name. It's in your name I pray. Corinthians, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, Claim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to have people um, set up on the sides um, with bread and cup, and um, when you're ready uh, and reflect on that, we invite you to come up and uh, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, um, uh, remembering the great work that the Lord has done um, for us individually um, and for us as a whole. Um, if you have not yet uh, received Christ, um, and and believe in those, those truths, we, we invite you to uh, take this time to reflect on that. And we'll have people in the back as well um, to pray. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, God, um, we praise you, Father, and we worship you. Uh, thank you for your word and uh, your truth um, and just uh, what you've done uh, for us, God, because you love us. Help us uh, receive this um, in jubilation, God. Help us receive this uh, with hearts lifted and, and, and abounding hope um, as we uh, live out the rest of this week, God. Your Almighty name, I pray. Amen.
Ben for being with us this morning. Um, it's good to be together on Sunday morning. We have a couple of announcements as we mentioned, Sunday on Sunday at his house tonight. Um, also, we'll be gathering back here on Thursday for our summer uh, Bible study. So Thursday night, 6.30, right here, so you already know how to get here. Um, we'll be serving uh, dinner before um, we gather and talk about questions Jesus asked. So, um, Sam Pfeiffer, this week. That'll be great. Um, so come back, childcare is provided again, dinner is provided. Um, and we don't, uh, we don't do community just for the sake of community. Um, just like the song just said, our affections, our devotion, poured out on the feet of Jesus. Um, he has done much for us, and so we want to make much of him. Um, and that uh, is best done together. So uh, join us this Thursday. Uh, also, um, as he mentioned, we'll be taking our regular offering uh, after the service, so uh, Marisa and Megan will be coming back <coughs> by the door, so feel free to uh, drop your regular offering there. You can also text the conference in 77977. Uh, so with that, let me pray and God, how great your love for us. You are holy and right and good. We gather together for your glory, and we thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you for bringing us into your family, into your redemptive work. We pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our world and in our lives. We confess that we can be selfish with our schedules and our money and even ourselves. As you make us more like Christ, help us to give generously of each, knowing that these are all gifts from you. Guide our church leaders as they make decisions to use these gifts in ways that expand your kingdom work to bring you glory. Help us to gracefully love those you place in our path in ways that reflect your goodness. We thank you, we love you, we need you, we praise you. Amen. Thanks again, and um, chairs, over here. All right, thanks.